we are really excited to introduce Kate Strachney. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. You're one of the folks that I love to follow on LinkedIn and just consume all the awesome content and perspectives that, that you are, are putting on. You do a lot for the community and your backstory is really compelling. You started in finance, uh, you worked for various corporations and in consulting, and now you teach. I'd love to hear more about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share it. So I actually, I, I ended up graduating with a finance degree in 2009, which is for those who know, 2009 was at the height of the financial crisis. So graduating with a finance degree um, during a financial crisis was not the best thing because any place I wanted to work, and for me, that was a bank, was under a hiring freeze or, you know, for the most part, most most of them were under a hiring freeze. And those that weren't, you know, they just didn't even care about my application because I just graduated my undergrad and they had a lot more experienced people in the market to look at. So I remember having to reinvent and I'm sure a lot of people that are either graduating or close to graduating college right now during the pandemic are also facing a similar situation where this was completely unexpected. It's out of your hands and, you know, kind of just have to go with it. But that's where my journey began because I remember I had to pivot my desire to work at a bank and actually ended up going into business development and selling risk training to banks, which is as close as I can get. Um, but that led me to meet a chief risk officer at a bank, which then ended up hiring me. So I was a risk analyst at, at this whole bank and ended up being hired into one of the big four consulting firms where I spent the past eight and a half years um, across various roles in the regulatory compliance, um, governance industry, did some risk management. And for the past six years, focused heavily on data visualization, pulling insights, data analytics, working with um, internal company data to really help management make decisions. So, so it's been a great journey, a great experience. And as of March of 2020, I've actually went off on my own to one, to teach data visualization as part of the dedicated academy. And also um, part of that content you're seeing is from my story by data company, which is focused on media partnerships with companies in the data science and analytics space who are trying to share their message with an audience. That's fantastic. And and I imagine working with dozens of companies, probably you've seen over, I, I could only guess, 100 plus use cases of how to use data. You're in a really good position to, to develop the training and really help organizations level up their own capability. And I'm curious, once you flipped that switch and became kind of a full-time entrepreneur, did you ever second guess your abilities or overcome imposter syndrome? I know that's definitely happened to me throughout my career. Um, and I could imagine a, a big pivot, like going from the private sector to running your own business, you had to overcome some challenges. I'd love if you could maybe uh, pick out one or two and, and share what those challenges were and how you got through it. Um, it's happening right now, Jeff. It happens all day for me, the imposter syndrome. I'm always, I go from an extreme high of Oh, look what I can do to then, wow, what makes me think I could even do this? <laughs> and this happens throughout the day. It's a roller coaster. Uh, definitely have had moments where I was in a room and people are talking about something. Uh, I, I remember at some point I started at a new client at a bank, part of my consulting gig, and they were all talking about something called Reg W, which is a regulation W. It's part of um, uh, reg regulations that banks have to comply with. And I knew nothing. And, you know, the way to address some of that imposter syndrome is just to educate yourself as much as possible and understand that other people in the room also might not know what, you know, that person is talking about. You can't assume you're the only one who doesn't understand. And that was the case for me. I used to think I'm the only one who doesn't understand something. 
But then when you start communicating with your colleagues or, you know, if you're in school with your uh, classmates, you start to realize you're, you're, if you don't understand, chances are there are others in, in the larger group that also don't understand. So all you can do is really educate yourself as much as you can. I really appreciate that perspective. And I, I found the same for me. And sometimes I just have to say, you know, I'm not familiar with that, that subject area. I'd love to learn more. And uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. As you've worked and, and taught many different folks coming from perhaps the finance area that you have a lot of expertise or even other industries and building your approach to how you teach, how have you broken down data concepts and, and focused on the specialization in data visualizations? And what are some of those nuggets or what are some of those pillars in which you develop your curriculum and, and how you teach? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have taught several several groups, actually ranging from pre-K students to you know executives at banks. And the concept is always the same because we always start with data that might not give you insights right away. And then building a bar or a bar chart or a line graph or you know any sort of visual representation of that data helps them understand the insights that you can potentially get from data. And I think that's that's mainly where I start because it's just enlightening people to the fact that there are tables, there are you know databases of of data floating all around us, or, you know places where we can download this data, and it, it's all about making sense of it. So I always start by showing kind of a before and after. So we'll show this either crazy database or complex table, and then show the after, which will be a really cleaned up you know chart or graph that visually shows you and tells you a story about that data. Um, and I think that inspires people and gets them excited about data visualization, which is which is where I want them to be right before we get into the actual training. That's really cool. Was there a project you worked on maybe at, at one of your earlier jobs where earlier on in your career you were like, wow, this is this is it. This is what I want to do for my career or or some challenge that you overcame that just it, it all it all clicked and you knew that this was the path you were heading down. And, and what was that challenge or problem? I've actually never been asked this question before, but it immediately came to mind. So I guess this is it. Uh, it was one. It was the first time I had to use data for an actual work project. That was about six years ago. I remember the person I was working with, he told me, here's the data and here's kind of what we need to build. And I was given Tableau, which is a business intelligence uh, software tool. And they said, you know, use this. I'm like, okay, I've never used Tableau, but I guess I have to build this. I assumed that this was a practice visual I had to make um, for the company. I thought they were training me really, because it was my first time. So I kind of put something together and the guy's like, okay, this is what we're going to present to, you know, this executive manager. And I'm like, wait, this was real. And he's like, yeah, this is actually going to be used <laughs> in front of thousands of people. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So then I kept iterating and tweaking and making it really, really good. And I remember the point where one of the executives told me that, you know, he's not sure exactly what I'm doing, but whatever it is, it's making the visual look a lot better. And I think that's where I was inspired to not only focus on data visualization, but also on the visual best practices that can actually take your visual from, you know, just looking good to actually looking really great. And people don't even understand what it is you've changed in the visual. They just know that it looks better. That's when I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I love that quote from the executive. I'm not sure what you did, but it looks really good. That is awesome. And uh, so we're going to, I want to dive into some of those best practices here in a little bit. But before we do that, there's some really cool projects you've worked on in addition to your training curriculum and the courses, one of which is a book on data literacy for kids. If a teacher wanted to introduce data literacy in their curriculum, K through 12, 
where might they start and what were some of the the areas of focus in that book? Yeah, absolutely. So the K through 12 is a huge range. So I think it would be different approaches for different age groups. The book that um, I wrote with Jordan Morrow, who's the head of data literacy at Lake right now, um, it's focused on the ages at say four to six, right? These are these are the, the babies um, because my kids are ages four and six actually. So that was the focus for us. He also has a, some small children, but I, I think what we did was we focused on teaching kids the importance of understanding data, reading data, analyzing data, and communicating with data. And I think those are the broad pillars that we need to focus on even as we move up the grade level, except we wrote the book as a, a treasure map hunt where the kids have to you know, count the number of votes and write down the data and choose different uh, charts that represent that data. And they have like a little tablet they run around with. So it's a little treasure hunt. It's a very light book. Um, I know there are other um, more technical books that I'd recommend for the higher grades. I think if you just look on Amazon Data Literacy, Kids and Teens, um, most of those would come up. I don't remember exact titles, but I think it, it, it's all about teaching kids the importance of understanding data, reading data, working with data, analyzing data, and ultimately communicating with data because data is not going away. If anything, it's just it's just going to continue increasing in, in the amount and volumes of data that we're going to have. Sure. I totally agree. That's a really creative way of thinking about that treasure map. I'll have to check that out for my toddler who's uh, almost in that age, age range. I, I have to ask, how do you fit all of this into a day, especially, especially in the climate that we're in right now? It is so challenging. Um, I know you're, you're a mom, runner. How do you fit it all in? And, and have you uncovered any life hacks that you can share? That's actually a great question. So let's take today as an example. Um, I'm training for a marathon that I've created in my own head that I'm going to run on October 17th with my niece. So this morning I woke up at 5 a.m. and I worked for a couple of hours. At 7, I went for a, I think it was five or six, yeah, about six miles um, running, came home, had had a call with my daughter's school because I'm we're doing the remote schooling for an hour. Mm-hmm. Then I had to prepare for a LinkedIn live where I interviewed people. Um, then I had to, I was actually interviewed on another podcast called Mothers in Tech right after that. And then I had math school with my, with my daughter. So it's a, it's a continuous um, balance all throughout the day. And I think part of it is, and this is actually what we discussed in the other podcast as well, is how do we, how do you do it? And I think it, it all goes to the fact that I love my work and I love my kids and I love to run. So it's like, you know, people who love watching Netflix and eating pizza, they could do that all day. For me, this is the Netflix and pizza. So it's easy and it's fun. Well, and I think the ability to kind of marry your passion, obviously, obviously your family, your work passion, passion for running. I think that's great. And I think that's really good advice for all of us who, even though it's been flipped upside down the past year with COVID, we still need to kind of carve out time for ourselves. We need to, um, you know, make sure that we're really pointing all of our energy, the limited time that we have towards doing those one or two things that really kind of put put energy back in the well and so that we can feed off of that. I'm super impressed. I think you're doing an, an incredible job. I think one thing that you do really well that the the audience of high school students that may be listening to this and considering the the national competition, one thing you do really, really well is you are a great networker and you're able to connect and, and not just not just network in the sense of 
hey, I know this person, but you're really able to bring people together and really able to build community through your network. Uh, can you speak to the importance of building a network? I think building a network, especially for anyone who wants to get a job in the future, is so important. And I, and I think, you know, high school students or college students that are listening, it is extremely important to grow your network before you need your network. So I know a lot of people decide to start reaching out to others in, you know, maybe in a similar space as them, right when they're either looking for a job or they need some kind of referral, recommendation, whatever that might be. At that point, it's already, I don't want to say too late, but if you have the opportunity to start sooner, absolutely do it because then it's a lot more natural, right? Then you can build a, a relationship, you can communicate with individuals without saying, hi, you know, great to meet you. Okay, can you get me a job? Right. Because in that moment, you kind of really that's the only thing on your mind. So for me, I, I realized early on that building a network is going to be important because, as I mentioned, graduating um, during the financial crisis, you couldn't just apply to jobs, which definitely was the case two years before I graduated. Everyone who you know graduated a couple of years before me had six job offers lined up the moment they were graduating and or even before they already knew where they're going to work. And that was no longer the case for me. So I actually started going to networking events. Um, and I, I learned about this at some career fair in my college. But I remember just going and trying to talk to as many people as possible and just meeting them, just seeing what their needs were, you know, what they did for work, trying to learn what the possible jobs were out there. And that's how I landed my first job was just meeting somebody. And from that point on, networking has has helped me personally in so many ways from you know, getting speaking opportunities to getting consulting gigs to getting offers to, you know, go, go teach at a university or even traveling to different states. Um, I've been offered to go to different countries as well. A lot of that actually had to be put on hold because of the pandemic. Um, I was actually going to go to like London and India and uh, Poland and yeah, so many places but maybe, maybe next year. But the point here is that networking um, can absolutely lead to not only great opportunities, but I've also made amazing friends along the way. I agree with all those points. I took a course in, in university called uh, Personal and Professional Development, and networking was a theme of that, of just how do you transition your career from, from being a college student out into the, the professional world. Um, and what I didn't understand at the time is, you know, I thought networking was exchanging business cards, knowing knowing people who were in maybe the field that you were interested in but i didn't really appreciate how much of networking is is simply just being in uh, a community or uh, consuming information and sharing information and giving back with like-minded folks um and and it's a two-way exchange right it's not necessarily um you know you, you definitely do want to be able to call upon your network if you're if you're uh, searching for a job or if you need a recommendation, and that is that is for sure. But really, to approach it as okay, um, how can I align my passions with other folks who are equally passionate about, in our case, data? Um, and and by doing so, you're naturally going to be aware of those opportunities. They're going to come knocking for you. Um, and so, I, I love your advice of you know start building that before you think you need to. Um, and especially for our audience of high school and college folks, I think that's that's an awesome lesson. So I want to transition to a couple of data use cases that may be helpful for folks considering the national challenge and your expertise is in data visualization. So let's let's jump into that. Let's say you have a data set in Excel and maybe you've never used a data visualization tool other than Excel before. 
and you want to take that that raw data and put it into a tool like Tableau, what's involved with building a data viz and how approachable is it for, let's say, a first time user? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a nephew who's um, he's, a, he's going to be a senior in high school, but about two, three years ago, I was showing him Tableau and he picked it up probably in 45 seconds. So it's extremely, extremely easy to use. And for those listening, there's actually a free version called Tableau Public that you can download. It takes like two minutes to download this um, as long as you're using public data. Just I always have to remind people because whatever you put in Tableau Public will be publicly available. Uh, But it's a great place for you to practice data visualization skills. So the first step would be, you know, find the data set you're working with. It could be in Excel. It could be in, you know, wherever that data sits. And you connect that data to Tableau. It's really simple. You can basically go to File, Connect, find the data. And now what Tableau has done is that it's actually read the columns, uh, column headers and the column data to understand what kind of data you're working with. Are they dimensions? Are they measures? And at that point, everything's in Tableau. And it's a simple drag and drop or double click on the items you want to visualize And over on the right-hand side, you'll see something called Show Me, which has probably 20 or 24 different um, charts and graphs that you can select from. And it really is as simple as just double-clicking or dragging and dropping fields to build a chart or a graph or even a dashboard once you're ready for that. Super, super simple. I highly encourage everybody to go ahead and try it. Um, You'll fall in love with it. Anyone I show Tableau to, either in, you know, huge organizations, or even my niece, I was just showing her Tableau and everyone's response is, this is so easy. Is this really what you do for a living? And I'm like, yeah, it's embarrassingly easy. It's that simple. You got to learn some of the formatting, you know, tricks that you can make your visualizations really stand out, but it really is that easy. It's almost deceptive in how quickly you can get up and running, but of course there's nuance to it. And of course there's levels to sophistication and to really preparing a powerful uh, insight for your organization, but uh, but at the same time, it's awesome that it's so approachable for new users. One of the challenges that I've seen uh, as I've worked with analysts in in my organizations has been uh, sometimes sometimes you have so much information, um, and sometimes the the business sponsor or or let's say the team that's requesting the visualization is trying to convey uh, you know a set of points, and it's hard to really do that in the most concise way. Have you seen that as a prevalent issue? And and when you teach, how do you address just kind of the simplicity, uh, reducing clutter uh, and those types of things in terms of best practices? One, one thing I'd start with is making sure that you're focused on telling one story at a time, right? So we, we always start with what is the data question that we want to answer? For example, if, we're, if we want to see if sales are going up or down, right? What's the sales trend? So that's, that's our data question. Step two would be get the necessary data to answer this question. So we get sales maybe by date. Those are the two fields. Uh, the next step is identifying what would be the best way to represent this data. And since we're working with time series data, I, you know, I'd probably recommend using a, an area chart or a line graph because we're looking at data over time and um, that would be a good way to represent this. The next step is, you know, you you mentioned reducing clutter, and I refer to all this whole bucket of things as visual best practices. There are steps we can take to improve upon the visualization, whether it's reducing maybe redundant borders or grid lines, 
or changing the colors and fonts and um, of the of the of the axes or the titles, really making the line in the line graph pop by making it like a deep blue or something versus a light gray, and using all those different attributes to bring attention to your to the specific data message um, to the specific data that tells the story of the question that you're trying to answer. So it's an iterative process because then, you know, you'll show it to your uh, stakeholders and then they're going to look at the data visualization and maybe say, oh, this is great. I also want, and then, you know, fill in the blanks of whatever else they'd like. And I think from that point, you have to kind of iterate on the visualization or dashboard that you're building to make sure that you're incorporating all the feedback yet still focused on that one story. Because once too many stakeholders get involved and they start asking for too many different things, you'll have to start considering that maybe this is no longer one dashboard. Maybe you need a separate dashboard that will focus on a different part of the story. Sure. That's a great point. You know, thinking about the audience and thinking about that one, that one big question that you're trying to answer. So to close out our conversation, I wanted to shift gears and and talk about a really important subject, which is data ethics. You've written on the importance of this topic in the past, and you've, you've brought a really a viewpoint that I think is is just great on this topic, which is we should all be thinking about data ethics in our respective organizations. It's not just, let's say, the data team or uh, maybe the steward of the data, but it's it's part of uh, being good data stewards. Can you explain how ethics, how and why ethics play such a key role, uh, and and what do you see organizations doing to really shore up and ensure that they're capturing? Um, and, and really delivering on a strong data ethics foundation for their organization. Yep, absolutely. In my opinion, everyone needs to be a CEO, a chief ethics officer <laughs> for their own use of data. And it all starts with, you know, making sure that the data we collect was fairly collected. The data we use is not include, you know, any bias that might work against specific um, groups of people. And, the reason, the, the reason behind all this is, we, uh, I mean, ethics is ethics, right? We need to do good. Um, I, I'm hopefully, the students listening, they are the future. They can, they can turn things around. Um, I, I think we are doing a better job from a regulatory perspective with GDPR and CCPAs, which are basically rules that are put in place in terms of how consumer data can be used. But I think we're still quite far from where we need to be because even data that's collected from you know, our smartphones, when we download an app, it asks us, do you confirm that we're going to use you know, everything you've got um, by clicking agree? And most of us are not going to read the 50-page little fine print on our, on our smartphones. We just want the app, right? So we click agree. And um, in that case we accept the risk of having our data used, our geo data, you know, our location data, whatever other data that that app decides to collect. And I think we have to move from having to accept anything that a company tells us to actually being able to say, no, I refuse to share my geolocation data, but I still want to use the app. Um, I, I know we're probably far from actually being able to implement something like this, but it is extremely important and I think not not many people actually understand the extent to how far their personal data can be used by companies, you know, in terms of taking from where, you know, where you've been walking around or the kind of things you've been searching for on online. 
and then sending you either emails or targeted ads on social media. Some people might think that that's a convenience. Um, some people might think it's an annoyance and other people will think of it as downright creepy and they don't want that. So I think there's definitely a variety of, of tolerance out there, but I think it's just a, a very important topic that um, I think we'll, we'll see it become even more popular in the next uh, few years. I think that's a great, a great topic to close on. I know when we think about data, we oftentimes think about the applications and, and the technology, but um, having our own private data out there is it's so important that we understand how it's being used, whether that's our medical data uh, or whether that's our other personal information. And so so I hope uh, the folks listening to this uh, really take that to heart and, and are good stewards with data that they have access to and also just protecting uh, their, their own data. Uh, so, Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the the podcast. I did want to point people to dedicatedacademy.com to check out some of your courses. Uh, I'm currently enrolled in in one of the intro courses and it's fantastic. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff.